Welcome to the Bullpen Session. This is Patrick Lellis. Glad you're here. Glad you're listening. This is day one of the Southeast Theater Conference, and I have to say it's, it's excellent again. It's great to be back and seeing people. It's fun today, actually. I, I got to see Oklahoma City at University, Center College, and Furman all at the same time, and those are the three schools participating in the College Collab. So it was nice to just connect everybody together with the project. And, you know, also just getting to see people I haven't seen in over two years. It's so nice to meet in person and from across the country. And also a little odd. Uh, the conference is great, though, and, and the programming is good. And one of the things I appreciate is I got to see and talk to uh, Narelle Sissons, great designer and teacher and Labyrinth member and um she actually taught me a great workshop when I was leading the education summer education program for Labyrinth, and she did a workshop on visual storytelling, and she talks about that, her work and her process during our conversation. It was just great to sit down with her, you know, great artist, and we talked about her journey. We talked about a lot about design. It's a really great conversation to your process, and also we had a nice, uh, interesting moment about the industry, which I will not spoil but let you listen to it. And yeah, this this conversation is so, it was just nice to be in, in the Southeast Theater Conference again. I know I talk a lot about it when I'm here, about how great it is, but it's just nice to see, you know, all the students and professionals and faculty mixing together. And I, I say it because it's, it's affirming the idea of getting, you know, I'm like, I don't know what the industry is right now. And I say that because I think we're putting on plays and we're doing things, but we're reevaluating everything. But but seeing people stop and talk, just was watching a post-show discussion or a post-lecture Q&A of three guest artists, and Narelle was one of them. And, a, you know, a student designer asked a question, and, and one of the speakers said, answered it for everyone, and then said, come up here and, you know, afterwards, and I'll give you my information, and, you know, you can email me, and I'll, you know, we can stay in contact. And I thought, yeah, that's what it, that's why I like the conference, because people are genuinely here to share information and with that, I was not only surprised to, you know, I was pleased to learn about Narelle's journey and how she got to where she is, but I was also really excited to hear the conversation about, to be in conversation with her about her artistry, and I think you'll appreciate it. And so with that, play ball. You know, because I teach at Carnegie Mellon, um, in some ways it's the same thing that I look at from my students at school, which is their ideas. So, um, you know, when a, when, a, when a designer looks at a play, the first thing that we do is, is get really, you know, under the, I guess, under the, 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 the hood of the play itself and start to really understand the structure and understand the symbolism and metaphor that's perhaps present in the play. And then from there, start to do re- visual research, which then leads us into, depending on you know, the, the rabbit hole that we go down, that starts to lead us into some more sp- something more specific about the design. And at that point, we then go and meet with the director. So with my students, when they're working on theoretical projects and they're they're having to be their own director, 
What I like to see them then do is then start to edit those ideas and turn them into uh, a response to the play. So when I'm looking at a competition like this, it's really the same thing. I'm really interested in hearing what they think about the play. They, they, inc they include design statements in this, which is great, in this um, competition. And then, then I look at the research that they have provided. In some ways, it would be great to actually see all of the research journey and not just, you know, the, the little... The showcase. Right, the, the section that they feel they want to show us. But anyway, so I look at all of that and then um, start to uh, dig into, you know, the, their responses to that and to the design that ends up in the model box. So... Um, so I think just it's, it's a long way of coming around to saying that I'm really interested in their ideas. Yeah, I'm really interested in that. And when you said you in your process and you said, and then we talked to the director, being a director, at, at what point, it's very funny, I talked to the set designer first, always in the process, because it orients me to the world of the physical world of the play and it gets and I like the conversation that it always challenges, you know, just to start to think about the play in a different way. Do you, when you meet with the director, have you already done the metaphor work for yourself? And So when I'm working with a director, yes. I, in, in the way that an actor prepares, a designer needs to prepare. So the first thing that I do, say, you know, somebody calls me and says, hey, will you design so-and-so? I always say, send me a copy of the play because I'd love to have a read of it. Um, then what I do is, once I, I read it usually like two or three times before I'll meet with the director. I always do a script breakdown before I meet with the director. So at this point, I'm not really designing anything. I'm just trying to understand you know, the feeling of the play, the tone of the play getting to know the characters, the structure, all of those things, so that when I meet with the director, I have, you know, a little bit of knowledge on my end so that we can have a real conversation about the piece. But what I do love to hear from the director about is their reason for doing the, wanting to do the production. So the best thing I think a director can do for a designer is say, I, I'm interested in doing this production for these reasons. Um, these are things that, you know, I've had, f have, have been with me for a while, and they are X, Y, and Z. Because then as a designer, you can then take it to the next stage and start to research the play, but also think about those informative thoughts and ideas that a director you know, that's motivating the director, that perhaps the same things that they would talk to a producer about. I'm interested in doing this play because of these things. So that is, I think, absolutely like at the beginning of the process. But I like to, as a designer, <laughs> I'd like to be prepared myself. And sometimes I'll even take a bit of research at the first meeting just to kind of feel the conversation out and seeing, you know, see if there's something that we can even start looking at. So, how open and how open they are. And yeah, yeah. I think, I, yeah, I love that because it's true. I actually come, I'm going to now talk about me, uh, <laughs> but I come as the director with the why. Why do I want to do the play? And I think if I come, with, you know, I don't want to come with what it looks like, but I'd also hear in how you approach it, you're... You're not bringing a physical, 
maybe you are if you bring a piece of research, but it sounds like more of the, the emotional emotional response mm -hmm, and a feeling mm -hmm. to the play and and who the people are and right. So that that early point, it's much more in that world. Um, and then you know, having had after that first meeting with the director, then I might go away and do a whole bunch of of extra research and then have another meeting before we've even put pencil to paper just to just to start to kind of um you know think think with our hands in a way it's like feel out the world of this production before we start to to define anything too specifically because I actually love that plate like that time is kind of the exploration it's the play time it's the time before you really start to place something in the model box so that you have you know the world's your oyster and at that point you're really I think having fun you know with the text and within the conversation yeah just an unlimited possibility of what the world anything can be and what it responds to can you this is for my education can you talk about meta, when you say the metaphor of the play do you find where do you find that and and how do you approach that and do you find that for everything that you're working on like there's a visual metaphor to find the context of hmm. yeah it's a good question i mean where where i think that is one of the questions that you know young designers always struggle with because you know how do you mine the text for metaphor for symbol for ideas and some plays, you know, depends on the play that you're working on. Some plays clearly have in very strong metaphoric references. And so you can start plucking those out and deciding if you really want to deal with them or not, or whether they, you know, the heavy lifting is going to come in the, in the text itself, you know. But I think that, I think that having a really full understanding of the play that you're working on, um, and then, you know, in conversation with the rest of the team and with the director, those types of symbols and ideas start to come to life. You know, I could give an example, say, um, uh, when actually when I worked with a, a friend of ours, so I worked with John Ortiz on the production for, for Lab and for Atlantic. We did um, uh, Half, Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven. And... So that in that case, you know, actually Stephen's play at that point was 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 half finished. was unfinished, of course. So we were like half written, but it was that what was there was really fantastic, and you know, there's a richness to what was there already. But um, one of the things that started to evolve in my conversations with John and the other designers was this sense of vulnerability and how all of the women are kept, you know, they're in this container, this halfway house, but yet there's this, there's a constant threat to, from the outside into, you know, into affecting their lives as well as uh, the different characters um, pushing back on each other, uh, bringing other types of internal stresses. So there's kind of like this, um, this, you know, uh, it, it, it feels like it's like a pressure cooker that play, in the play, Stephen's play. And it feels, it feels like we, as a designer, one needs to respond to those two things, the vulnerability and then the, the pressure cooker space in order for the, you know, actors, the characters to have to deal with each other. You know, the tensions, the, 
the the care, the stresses, the fights, the, all the things that happen in that play need a very particular space. So even though there wasn't kind of a concrete moment where I said, oh, well, you know, it has to be, you know, I'm dealing with this pressure cooker feeling just like this. It was actually through unpacking the, the story and the events of the story that it started to occur to us that these exterior vulnerabilities existed. And so every time we talked about the play as a group, we talked about how we secure the room, how we sometimes leave the room, you know, vulnerable to people coming inside. There's a moment where one of the, the there's a, there's a the husband. aggressive husband that shows up, you know, so what are the steps that it ne he needs to take to actually get into that space? Became an important conversation about you know, the lobby space, the front door space, the stoop space, how you take all of those steps through and then the diagonal through the space. So that type of conversations then helps you to form a design, I think. So it's very, for me, it's a very organic experience. And, um, you know, we all feed off each other, right? So we're all, somebody says something and it's, you know, the best idea is the one that comes to the top, you know? And John would say something that inspired me. And, you know, through John's interactions with Stephen, you know, he was understanding, We, you know, back and forth, different conversations. Oh, um, I've just talked to Stephen about this aspect of the play. Let's, you know, think about, like, the goat. There's a goat in the... I don't want to spoil the play, but there's a goat in the play, right? So, you know, how are we going to do the goat? We really need to see the goat. That's you right. know, we got to have a goat. we got to have a goat. So, you know, that kind of... Those were back and forth. You know, I wouldn't say negotiations, because, of course, who doesn't want to see a goat? That would be... But, you know, how do I manage this situation where we're... You know, how do we manage the goat and the goat wranglers and the actors and... All of those things. Uh, one of my questions on something of that scale, I'm really interested in too. That show is it's a large show, it's a large set, it's different occasions, and this is a very less artistic and more practical. But I think, how do you deal with, how do you approach, is that all within the budget at the beginning, or how do you pr approach the producer when you're like, Oh, I think we're going to, because I think like a scene, I happen to see that play, which is very generous of you to mention it. Um, but what, I think there was a scene in the audience, it felt like, and there's upstairs and downstairs and a bathtub coming in. And so it's not small, no, right? Not and small. I know they're planning for it, but I also know that you transform spaces a lot in your work. And I'm wondering if that's a negotiation or is that is that already talked about before you've agreed as the play starts to evolve, like, is yeah. that an awkward conversation or is that... Gosh, I, you know, it's so different. Every time, every time I do a different play, it's a whole different conversation, so... I'll say why I'm asking. I was yeah, asking I'm, because, seriously, because I think it takes courage. I, I think because when a young designer is starting, they want to make everybody happy. Yes. And I, you know, you're going to be happiest if you're an artist mm -hmm. and you're serving the play as best as possible. And I think there's a way to talk about what the play needs and where you're going and sometimes you have to navigate those uncomfortable things of mm -hmm. no we got to take that wall down 
yeah. or whatever bold gesture is happening. Yes. You know, or we're going to lose three seats every night for this. And I was just wondering if that's pre-production and assumed, or is that as the play starts to evolve and grow, are you going in and saying, can we do this? Can we, I have an idea, I'd like to try this, or... Yeah, and I just want to... Yeah, well, you know, it is definitely different each time. It depends often on the resources of the organization, you know, as to whether things can be, you know, we can afford all the things. Um, you know, I've worked in Central Park where the budget's huge and we had a, you know, purpose-built crane that we hung actors from. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, although I have to say in that production, I was over budget by like 20%, even though we had an enormous budget. <laughs> and it's actually the same process to start to, you know, like trim ideas um, uh, when, when you're at that level as, as, well, as it does when you're doing something in, you know, in a garage. But, um, you know, I would say that this, it comes with experience, I think. For a young designer, and I know when I was starting out, um, I was always very, um, you know, concerned about, you know, the budget process of things that, that, you know, I could, that would remain and things that would have to go away because they were too expensive. And um, I think over the years I've become a little better at navigating that myself, just having a, not that I start running numbers, but I just have a feeling, well, this is probably going to be within the scope. This is probably way out. And sometimes I'm completely surprised. And sometimes, you know, I feel that it's too bad that, you know, we can't afford all the things because we're literally, you know, um, editing ideas at that point rather than seeing, I mean, that's how I see it as, as, which I think is important to mention because this is what I, I teach the students to think about too, is that, you know, once you've you've developed the idea and you've you're working in a model and things are starting to shape up, and you know you maybe get in touch with the technical director so they can have a glance at it. You know, have I lost my mind or are we on track? Kind of thing. And you know, I think that I think that you know if if you have if you are way over. What I always suggest to students is to actually go back and look at the ideas rather than the size and amounts of, of scenery. Because if you're actually designing from the perspective of a set, set of a series of ideas, that means that you hopefully have an exciting, robust, evolving set that you know, works well with actors. If you are designing something that's really about, you know, yards and yards of um, materials, and that's the main, most important thing to you, I think it's, um, I think you can fall into a trap because you can fall in love with that beautiful cedar floor or that, you know, amazing, uh, you know, um, ornamental ceiling or something, right? However, if you're feeling that this, the play is about, um, you know, a uh, uh, let's just take those two as a metaphor for a second or as an idea, you know, beautiful, beautiful floor, be, you know, amazing piece of architecture hanging in the in this in the space. If you're thinking about, you know, say that was an idea about, um, you know, perhaps compression in a space, a time period 
you know, maybe this movement of those two pieces, say. Then what happens is if you're completely outside of your budget with those two ideas, because you understand why they're there, you can perhaps start thinking about substituting materials. So I really need this high-end looking floor. I really need this compression to happen with this ceiling. So how do I extrapolate from here and find something else that could do the job? Right, because that goes back to your original conversation of like, what's the metaphor? What's the idea? What are we trying to, what's the story we're trying to tell? And then find the solution within that. Great. Yeah, I was curious as to what got you sort of your first design job or what, how did you start in the process? Yeah, good question. Um, I <laughs> dig back into my memory. Um, well, actually, the first, the very first, was when I was leaving school. I was, you know, I went to school in London. I went to um, Central St. Martins. And then I went to the Royal College of Art, actually, to do film after that. But, um, but then immediately finished that degree that, you know, and then went right back to theatre again. So I didn't even... Well, make, I was going to ask. All right. You got film. the film degree. <laughs> you, like, 3D film degree thing. And I thought... I'm like, I don't know that you worked in film. I know you're such a theater artist that I was surprised that that was the degree. And yeah, was the, was it was my goal. second, yeah, it was my second degree. But, you know, um, uh, just to go back to that question of like, where did it, so that, that was sort of the schooling, I guess. And where did it begin? So my first show was upstairs in a, in a pub in London. And I designed Václav Havel play, The Increased Difficulty of Concentration. That was my very first design, you know, as a, as a yeah. professional. I'm using air quotes now. <laughs> but, um, boy, I suddenly realized what I was up for because I was working with a group of actors who'd worked together for a very long time, and I was this kind of young upstart designer coming in with all these ideas. <laughs> and it was a real negotiation, you know, between uh, the company and, you know, and my uh, inspiration for the, for the play. But, you know, we, we ended up with something. We ended up with uh, like a, a room full of revolving doors. That was the, and, and we had to negotiate the masking. That was the, that was the sticking point with the actors. <laughs> <laughs> that they needed it? They didn't want it. No, no, I didn't want it. They wanted it. Yes, yeah, yeah. they needed it. Um, anyway, but we, they were we were all happy in the end. But um, that was my very first design. And then actually after that, I ended up moving to New York City. And my very first production after that, once I'd arrived, was for New York Stage and Film. I designed... Um, a production that was um, of Lysistrata that was for the Vasa summer season. And that was amazing and fantastic. I had such a great time doing that. And I literally went hunting. I went around to all of the, with the, I think the, the guy doing the props and a couple of other interns, we went to all the local estate sales and just got all of the furniture from you know, around like Vassar College in upstate New York and just made a huge big pile and that was the Acropolis. Including, nice. and we, we even included a kitchen sink in it. You know, we had like doors opening and closing. Like you're going to have everything. You got to have the kitchen sink. We, we even had that. So that was fun. How did you get that job? Do you remember? Yeah. So I actually um, got that job because I knew 
Well, you know, the director happened to be my boyfriend at the time. That helps, right? That, that helps. That helps. Um, but, you know, they didn't, it wasn't just a shoe in they, they wanted to see my portfolio and see if I was really serious. In fact, in some ways it was harder because, you know, Nepotism. boyfriend. Right, yeah, yeah, who wants the girlfriend to design the show? But actually, you know, I passed the... I passed the interview and I got the job, which was fantastic because through that I then started to meet, you know, other other directors and you know other producer um, folks came in and and you know saw the show and and it worked out quite well. So that was a good introduction. And then actually the next thing I did I think was very it was quite significant because I was then hired by Juilliard to design something in their season. Um, and did Juilliard meet you up at New York Stage and Film? No, they met me because I was actually assisting um, a set designer in New York and Michael Kahn offered to interview me um, because the, the person I was working for, you know, said, I have a young designer and I think you should, you know, you should meet her. and. So I went up and, and met Michael Kahn, and that was um, uh, that was actually was working with Derek McLean at the time. He was the one who generously offered this, and I went up and met with Michael. In fact, I didn't get the first project because they were interviewing a bunch of people, but the next one um, that came up, which was a, an Athel Fugard play, Home production of Home, um, I designed that with. Um, Jonathan Rosenberg and then it just things started to take off because then lots of directors who were coming to work with the Juilliard students saw the work and you know the school very generously kept me on their list of people to design so then I started to work with many more people and it's you know there's a there's a kind of knock-on effect I think that that, that happens where, you know, you get referred on. Yeah, I was really interested in that because I saw all the Juilliard, and I thought, yeah, once you get in, are they, they're recommending you. They're suggesting you because they're bringing in, a lot of times they're bringing in directors, they're in New York, mm -hmm. and so were the directors see? is it a combination of they saw your work and Juilliard said, yeah, we, we would love you to work with Probably, you know, I don't know what was happening behind the scenes, but I'm guessing that it was a combination of, you know, director would come in to do something with their students and then would, they would say, well, who do you want to work with? And have you thought about, you know, this or that person? And I guess I was one of the people that was, were, was on the list. Yeah. yeah, I think that's great. And then those are two pretty central places to be, yes. right? New York Stage and Film is a hub for a lot of working and I also feel like not only working, but up-and-coming working people, yes. too. So, and the same thing with Juilliard. It's like this home of good people. Yes. And uh, I was very it's lucky. a great place to build relationships. Yeah, I was very lucky. And I feel as though that's, that type of opportunity experience is really important. And I think, you know, that's something that I believe as a, as a designer now who's been around for a few years... I actually was doing the rep there, the fourth year rep for, for about eight years, something seven or eight years more recently. So I, I worked with Juilliard, as you've seen on that list for many years, but then the last few years I was doing this fourth year rep, 
where we had three shows in rep with each other. Um, and I was, I mean, I was working with so many different fantastic directors doing that. But there was a point where that I re reached where I felt that really it was better, this, this job was better for, it was an important job for a young designer to make those connections to, and to get you know, a footing in the industry. So along with you know, being very busy with my teaching schedule, I actually you know, said to them, you know, I love you guys, I'd do a show anytime for you, but I'm gonna have to give, you know, make room for somebody else. And they were very, they understood completely. And, you know, but I, I, think, I think that it's important for, you know, designers who've been in the business for a, a, a number of years to actually um, yield some, you know, and, and make space for young designers. I really believe that, and I, that's, I practice that in my own work. Did you recommend some? It's very funny, because you've got to be in a position of you have students, and you, I don't know if you work as an assistant, if you used to have your students be assistants or not, but you have to have assistants and people who are, who are hungry for that job mm. and, and would be appreciative. And I think what you, it's very generous. I actually was gonna say, did you recommend, but it doesn't matter, my thought actually is, it's very generous to think that way and I agree. I think there was a long period of time where certain directors were not moving yes. from jobs. Yes. And you thought, wait, when am Get I gonna stuck. You know, yeah. <laughs> knock it on the ceiling going, you know, come yeah. on. It's true. And actually, I have another story that relates to this because, um, you know, a few years, very recently, there, there was the whole Me Too movement that kind of um, happened back in, I guess, um, 2017, 16, 18, 17. 17, around there, yeah. And, you know, I've been working for years, and all of a sudden, I was getting calls from theatres that I'd never worked at before. And we're now starting to open the space up for more women set designers. And that was actually a really telling moment because, you know, you don't miss what you don't have, as, as, it, as, as they say. And so, so all of a sudden, you know, I was working at, you know, theatres where perhaps, you know, on the main stage they hadn't had women work before. And that suddenly was... That's thrilling but it was also I was also a bit sad at the same time it was like, it was you know and I, I do hope as you know as we move forward that that this is still you know the consideration of women and uh, you know BIPOC design especially set designers because as a set designer myself I know that it's very difficult to there's a definitely a glass ceiling there and it's difficult to get to get your foot in the door and it's also difficult to you know, to move up. And so, you know, I do hope that that is, a, that, that is a bigger consideration, especially at the producer level. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. And it's, having all this, I'm having a thought right now, which I didn't, to think about, I was gonna ask about women in the field and, and designing, but I didn't, I've thought as we talked right before the interview about the fact like, how I learned to drive in 97, and you've been designing at the, you said at the park, and working at a high level. It's interesting to hear that there was another level that you may not have been getting to, and you didn't know you weren't getting to it. It's just like, and that is sort of pausing in the moment in my head of going, that's surprising, but it's, but I believe it. Uh, because I was gonna say, is there, it's also interesting when you've talked about the first job being, oh, the boyfriend is directing, introducing you. And I think 
you know, there is a bias of female designers and certain, more, more probably I imagine in set design than there is in, you know, costume design. Um, there's a sort of a, an assumption there. Mm -hmm. And I was gonna ask if you had felt that and hearing that you felt it in a uniquely different way, in a different way than I expected. Like, oh, I didn't know that I wasn't knocking on these doors or these weren't opening. Yes, and, uh, yes, yes. I think, you know, and it's, I think that for me, I mean, it's gonna be different for everybody, but for me, that was really at the very highest end of regional theater that, you know, that suddenly those doors were opening. And, um, and it's not because you did a project that got their eyes open. You had done a, many other projects earlier. So just to be clear that the timing was clear. It, it felt very clear, you know. Um, but I mean, and I'm grateful for those experiences and they turned out to be wonderful and very rich and rewarding. And, you know, it's just, it's interesting to uh, suddenly see something different. You know, you think you've seen, you think you've seen where you're, you know, you understand where your, your career's heading and you understand where you've come from and, and perhaps where you'd like to go. But then you suddenly, I think, it really opened my eyes up to um, other opportunities that I didn't even know were, you know, that, that were possible. Right, that's amazing. Uh, to think, and I will continue to think about that all day. This is, and this is recent. This is, yeah. you know, this is like this is couple within of the last years. four years, yeah, five with, years. Yes, yes, yeah. It's kind of, it, and I, yeah, because I know what level that is and what level was happening before, and I think you don't want to think that is the issue, and, and yet at the same time, you know, and I believe it, and I'm seeing, you're seeing so clearly when you talked about BIPOC artists of, everybody making it seems like the conversation is going that way and everybody making an effort to uh, advance and create op equity, op equitable opportunities. Absolutely, but, but, yeah. But with all that effort, what it's telling you is that wasn't happening before. Right, <laughs> right. You know, when we start to see the change, it means... Well, and I think, you know, the bar is higher because it's like, you know, uh, so this is a very, this is a whole kind of um, rabbit hole to go down of conversation. But I think that, you know, the bar for, and I can only speak from, from myself, but the bar for a woman, design, scenic designer, is often higher than the bar for a male scenic designer to, to, to get over as they're kind of moving up in their career. And I can only imagine that it's been that way for, you know, for BIPOC designers, some get over the bar, you know, some, some women sure. get like, they, they get their foot up and they get right up there. And once you've crossed that, there's really, um, you know, no end of opportunities for you. But I think that one of the things that we do so wrong is that we, um, we do create this artificial you know, bar that, that one has to get up and over. And so you do have some women who are up and over that. You do have some BIPOC designers who are up and over that. But the amount of work and, and the amount of time it took them to get there was probably much longer and much harder than it might have been for somebody, you know, say a male um, white what designer. What do you think that when you, what is the bar? Because it's not quality of work, right? So is it proving and proving and proving because we have a history of hiring people we're familiar with? 
I think that's a lot to do with it. Um, yeah, I think I think that's that's a lot of it. And I think that you know, theatres often have um, you know a, a collect like a list. They'll have their list of of designers, which is the list they constantly go to. I've been on those lists. You know, I've you were on the Juilliard list, <laughs> right? I've benefited from being on those lists. So you know, there are there, and I. But I think that that's something that maybe is. Uh, you know, we get we get caught up in habit because you hear you know producers say, oh, they're a reliable designer, or we like the way that they work, or they work with our shops in a very particular way, or they're very um, uh, you know they're great they they they're great with you know um, particular type of director, or you know there's any number of things that make you belong on that list, but oftentimes you know. Because you've you've been given those characteristics by a theatre, you're you're advancing in you know in their eyes perhaps. But another theatre that already has their group of preferred people isn't necessarily going to reach out and pluck somebody else out of you know out of the industry because they already have the group that they you know they they find you know, are for whatever those reasons are, a, you know, great collaborator for them. So I think one of the things that we need to actively do as theatre, um, uh, you know, producers, directors, designers, is to actually open up those, crack open those lists, maybe put them to one side and say, okay, let's just re-look at this. Let's look at the types of plays we're producing. Let's look at types of people we're hiring. Let's not hire the same people at the time. Let's look at a, like another group of people. Let's, you know, let's open up to those opportunities. That way, I think we've got much, a much better chance at elevating and lifting up people that in the past weren't able to even get onto anyone's list. Right. It's hard. It is hard to get that introduction and get into the door, especially because, let's say you're on the list, let's say there's five set designers on the list and there's five shows in the season and somebody, a director, brings one of their own, right? So all of a sudden, four out of five might have got it, three out of five might have got a shot. There's no room for new unless they've come with a director or right. somebody's introduced them. Yes. So it's creating that opportunity. I'm curious about pathways, but I wanted to ask what you went, what got you to Carnegie Mellon, and and always interested in you know I, obviously I love teaching, so it's not a question of like why why the teaching, but what brought you to Pittsburgh and deciding like oh, I'm going to build a life here. Mm, yeah, well that's an interesting question. I think that um, and you know you and I have have had some experience teaching together right yeah. with with labyrinth yeah it's one of one of that i love the week and that class that it's funny that we taught together that you taught um is one of the best highlights of the week right because it's doing absolutely what you were talking about at the beginning getting people to take metaphor and getting non-designers you know to, actors to, and to writers, develop ideas and yeah to take their and to put them into a visual storytelling Yes, yes, and make make a, a performance piece, yeah. But, you know, so my first teaching position was actually at Bard College. Um, I was hired by Joanne Acolytus back in, like, 2005 and six, And um, 
so she had uh, she was uh, had presented you know, had created a course with um, a group of designers and it was called um, uh, visual visual imagination for the modern stage and so I was hired <laughs> to teach that class and I remember the first day I went into the class to teach and I was so scared. The students had no idea. They just thought, you know, who's this, who's this designer? She's going to help, you know, figure out. We're going to do some projects. But I was so nervous that first day that I went in that I consulted a friend of mine who's a teacher, who's actually had been a teacher for a number of years and said, you know, what do I, like, I know what, I, I know what content I want to you. I know what I want to do with the class, but how do I do it? You know, so she actually helped me step through, you know, minute by minute as to how I was going to run this classroom. Anyway, it was okay. The first day I, I succeeded and um, I don't know how good it was, but at least I, you but know, you got through I it. got through it like three hours of class time, you know, and, um, but what I learned was that, you know, students really, um, you teach what you want to learn and there's a sort of there's a generosity I think in the student body that um, that I've discovered as I've been a teacher uh, that that really I can I feel that they even though I have a, a very specific um, course that I'm teaching and I even have a syllabus and all of those things there's something very flexible about the way that I teach that is really directed to the individual. I love to see those moments where students, there's aha moments where a student suddenly puts something together, they put some things together and really start to understand um, design and creating a world and reading and understanding a text. That to me is very, very compelling. And so having started at Bard where, you know, the, 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 the course was very open you know, we were talking about visual imagination. So it was all about ideas. You know, we did some puppetry things. We did like some sound projects. We had, everybody made a, a magical box with a design in it. Um, we collaborated with one of the directing courses where they made work together. We did so many different things. It was, I had a, a, some, uh, guests that came in and helped us think about um, visual storytelling in, in different ways as well. Um, just thinking about, we had like somebody who came in and worked with us, we called it like the junk drawer puppet project. And they literally made little puppets and we projected them up onto a screen. And so we did this, this whole kind of combination of the, and a lot of the students in the class were actors too. They weren't necessarily designers so they created these characters and we could film them so we had big huge characters up on the screen but they made them and were manipulating them you know on a landscape that they'd made Great. that type of thing it was really fun really fun um so then you know when 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 this opportunity came up at Carnegie Mellon I thought you know I I'm really enjoying teaching I feel like it's very fulfilling I feel like you know I'm learning a huge amount from doing it Maybe I should take it a bit more seriously. <laughs> Here we are. So it's been about 15 years, and I'm still standing. My question is, because you, you're a great teacher, and I, I love that you learned that you liked it and you should take it seriously. 
But it's interesting, right, to then navigate. And one of the things that I'm, I think the pandemic has done this, but before the pandemic, I was talking about decentralizing New York. Like, I don't think you only have to live in New York to pursue theater. And did you find being at Carnegie Mellon, being in outside of the city and challenging to maintain those relationships that you had or had you already established them and to, to remain engaged in how you were pursue, pursuing work? Yeah, um, good question. So I think there's a point where, because I had been in New York City for about 21 years before I went to Carnegie Mellon, um, I'd already established those working relationships and I'd had, you know, this point I had, you know, really great productive I would say almost like artistic families that, you know, that I worked with directors and other designers. And so really actually relocating to a different place. In fact, I kept my apartment though from for just up until very recently in the East Village so I could go back and forth um, when I had a show or something or meetings. So I never, I never completely cut myself off from the city, although I was very full, I was fully invested in Pittsburgh and in, in my students, but I did have that opportunity if I needed it. But I would say that um, I had to work a little bit harder at maintaining those, you know, uh, relationships just because directors that I was working with had to understand that I wasn't just available at a moment's notice. I'd have to plan to come in to the city for a meeting or if, you know, or if they're in another city, we could probably do it as a uh, back in, you know, Skype, mostly Skype meetings that now it's all Zoom. But um, so I think I had to work a little harder. But honestly, um, a lot of the projects that I did, if they were outside of New York City, didn't make a huge amount of difference, except for the meetings with the directors, if they were New York City based directors. But you know, I found myself still working around the country. I think it's important as a faculty member to maintain one's you know, professional. Free, professional practice because you know it, it informs the work that you're doing with the students. It also helps them connect with the profession because they often assisted me or um, if somebody asked me for a recommendation, I could recommend one of my students or an alumni, which I've done often. Um, and actually really enjoy doing because it comes very much under the philosophy of helping helping the next generation move forward. So I think I also had to cut down a number of what you know productions because when you're teaching, obviously you can't do as much. So that that was actually okay for me. But I think I mean I still found myself all over the place doing. Still doing. <laughs> Still, I wasn't getting yeah. away from my professional practice in any way. No, and I think you're right. I mean, first of all, 21 years of established relationships, but it's you don't have to be in the same place, especially if you're working regionally and stuff. But I, I always think about the uh, people have short-term memories, and they like you know they remember what's in front of them, mm. and and I say that and go, I have, I have a designer who I worked with for a decade who moved a decade ago and I I still think they're the first call I make yeah, you know, yeah. Just, just in case mm -hmm. just to see maybe this time you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. and sometimes yes sometimes no you yeah know? and 
and I think those relationships are mm -hmm. so solidified. But it's, yeah, and I also think it's... It's good to work with other people too, isn't it? You know, and you probably like are interested in branching out to others as well. Um, because I think... Yeah, I think it's important to keep... It's, it's like a, it, there's a balancing act, right, between maintaining, you know, a creative family of collaborators and then also being able to be flexible and well, invite have, other people into that group. I have a question about... This. It's very funny. I had this realization the other day about myself, which I was not excited about. But I, I thought of designers who I met who... When we first started working together, I felt like my work was elevated because they were excellent. I was excellent. I was doing my best. We were working, and we'd done like three, four projects together. And then I felt like, oh, my shorthand is such shorthand that I'm not sure that I'm asking bigger questions, and I'm not sure that I'm challenging myself, and I'm not sure if they're challenging. I don't know if they're not challenging themselves, but if they're not challenging me. And I thought, oh, I've gotten maybe a little comfortable I have to do that uncomfortable thing of go meet somebody new, if only to be reminded, you know, it's mm. almost like keeping a, a relationship, you know, yeah. fresh of like, how do you mm. keep growing? Yes, you know? yes. I think, I think that's important, you know, and I, I get a lot out of working with new people. I enjoy that. You know, it takes a little bit, there's a bit of a dance at the beginning of figuring out who you are and what, you know, what your comfort level of taking you know risk level is and and you know all of the, just the different things that that everybody you know embodies as a as a theater artist but once you've I think once you've got over that and everybody's comfortable it can be very exhilarating um I'm working right now with uh I'm doing I'm involved in an opera that's actually being done by um being produced by the quantum theater in Pittsburgh and they're using it's an it's a, a chamber opera, Idaspi, and there that's the name of the opera. And they're using um, uh, Chatham Baroque um, musicians. And I suddenly got a call, and this is such a funny story because I suddenly got a call from from Carla, who's the producer, about designing this. And she said, you know, somebody. You may know because she thought your name sounded familiar, but I'm not sure how you would know her. And her name is Claire von Kampen, and she is um, she's married to Mark Rylance. And <laughs> I realise it's because I knew Claire from years ago when actually it was very very early production that I did in New York um, with uh, with well Mark was was directing the project and um, I was working with, as the assistant of um, an English designer, Jenny Tiramani, who was, uh, was the production of As You Like It and it was with Theatre for a New Audience. And so I'd seen Claire every day, you know, we were like really, because I was, you know, as the young assistant, I was really involved in this production and it was such a lovely reunion. And yeah, that's and that's more than twenty years. Just a little bit more than twenty years ago, and you know. <laughs> I just love the fact that, like, yeah, that uh, that relationship 30. is right there. That person sees your name, and they're like, "Wait, I want that person. I know that we're friends." <laughs> <laughs> we're 
So you do, you know, there's never, I think that's important for like a young designer to think about is that, uh, that you, you know, that you are going to, you, it's a small, it's a small world. You're going to run into people that perhaps you met 30 years ago and, and do their opera, design their opera, you know, so many years later. And so, you know, in that, in that way, those relationships are really important but I also believe in expanding one's, you know, sphere. I think that's that's super important. Yeah, no, it is. I was, and I think I became aware of it because I'm, I'm on a team right now that's half new and half people I've worked with a lot. And I thought, oh right, the conversation with the new person is making me think harder. Right. And, yeah. Partly because we don't have the shared vocabulary and experience and stuff, and partly I went like, oh, because I'm also, because they're opening new doors for me to think about. It's exciting. Yeah. You know, and yeah. hard. It is. It is. And that's, I think that's a little bit of how we're collaborating, Claire and I are collaborating at the moment, because in fact, I'd never directly collaborated with her before, and so this is this, this really wonderful opportunity to do that. And both of us are, you know, I might send her an image and say, you know, I think here's a couple of images. I think you're going to like image A, and she always comes back and says, well, I do, but what about this, you know, thing that we're looking at in B, you know? So, and I might not have you know, noticed it, or, or if I had noticed it, thought, well, maybe maybe it's too far, you know, too far in the wrong direction, and she's like, no, no, let's bring that in. Let's, you know, make that part of what we're doing. So I think I think it is good to to challenge those relationships and those yeah. conversations. Do you have advice that you, it's very funny, I always say that you would give somebody starting out today or yourself? Gosh, I would say, you know, be inquisitive. I think as a, a young designer, having, you know, as a, as a designer, as a set designer in general, you know, we bring a lot of our visual experiences into the work that we do. So my sense of the work that I do now, I think is, is really heavily influenced by all of the things that I've done before me. So um you know before now so for instance you know as much travel as you can possibly do as a young designer i think is really key not just in the country in which you live but try and get beyond you know the 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 you know get across the ocean and see what's happening in other parts of the world I think um, seeing as much theater as you possibly an opera and and so on as you possibly can is so important. I think that as a young student designer is a big part of your education is to understand what other people are doing and and to to be inspired by the work of others, I think is really key. Um, so make sure that you get to you know see get you know get to yourself to a big city and see the work of exciting artists. you know, follow some interesting artists that directors that might inspire you, designers, make sure that you really get, but also, you know, um, look at the work of designers that perhaps are coming from other countries and see how they interpret theatre. 
There's actually um, every four years there's the Prague, Prague Quadrennial, which is an amazing theatre conference that literally happens in Prague. That's a fantastic opportunity for any young designer because all countries, most countries are represented. And, you know, you see projects from uh, someone's version of, you know, uh, production of a Chekhov play in Romania is going to be very different from, you know, somebody's version of a Chekhov play in, um, in Australia. You know, look at study all of that, have a very close look at what people are doing and look at um, how they, each country interprets what theater is. Each person interprets what theater is. I think that, I think that, that would be my advice. I actually tried to take that advice <laughs> as a young designer. Somebody told me, do all of that, travel, get out, you know, go and see plays, go and do as much as you can, read as much as you can. And I've, I've always tried to be a magpie for information. Well, thank you, Narelle. It was just great to catch up with you, great to talk to you, great to, you know, sit down for an hour and have a conversation. And, you know, that thing she said at the end is, is vitally important, you know, to remain curious. And I think, you know, I think I talked a little bit about my process in there, and I think that is what keeps keeps the collaborations and keep all the work fresh and the pursuit is remaining curious. And I was also a little stunned to hear, because she has been recognized in my mind as at one, you know, some of the highest levels of work, and to hear her talk about the Me Too impact and being a female designer and feeling the change and knowing that there was a ceiling and you know we all know it was harder for women and especially women set designers but uh, it was just a moment of hearing the impact because in my mind she's been working on these great plays how i learned to drive the original production and stop kiss and other things that have been in my mind for an awareness for the longest time so you you think oh that person's working at the highest level and then you realize they're they haven't been at another level because of these limitations we put on the industry or on each other in this industry and you know we're trying to address that now but it was really important to hear that um and i'm glad she shared it and i also love this idea when she talked about teaching of you know you teach what you want to learn and i think that's true i think that's where the act of teaching comes because you you remain curious in there while you know something you also want to continue to discover more so i love that conversation uh, i loved all of it i hope you appreciated it and again i'm always glad you're here and listening and um you know this is going to drop while we're at the conference the other ones will probably go back to our regular schedule for the podcast but i hope you're enjoying the sctc conversations and as always let us know what you're doing. You know, the, I have to say the conference is doing a good job of sharing hashtags and other people's experiences here and what they're learning and what they're getting out of. And I thought, right, let me know what you're up to, what shows you're doing, discoveries you're making. And uh, I am looking forward to sharing them with our community. And with that, we're out. <laughs> <laughs>